Well, good morning and welcome again to Prairie View Christian Church, whether you're here in the room with us or tuning in via live stream, we are glad, very, very glad to be together this morning. On Thursday night, for Christmas Eve, Pastor Ben concluded his sermon series on Christmas gifts. He preached on the Bible, the church, the spirit, and Jesus himself. Next Sunday, he will begin a series on problematic proverbs, sayings that we all know, but maybe aren't as helpful or biblical as we think. Now, this morning is the last Sunday of 2020. As you all know, this year has had a decade's worth of trouble. And as we prepare to head into a new year, the reality is that 2021 will pick up right where 2020 has left off. Unfortunately, there is no universal reset button that will be pressed at midnight. When you wake up, when we wake up on January 1st, the world will hardly be any different from the night before. Maybe there will be more confetti on the streets. I don't mean to quench anybody's optimism or rain on anybody's parade. There are reasons to be optimistic, but we also need to be clear-headed about what's in front of us. 2021 may prove every bit as challenging as 2020 has been. And if that's the case, and it very well might be, we need endurance. And that's exactly what we will be looking for this morning in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews comes after Philemon and before James. It reads like a sermon and a very powerful sermon at that. It's called the letter to the Hebrews because it's speculated that it was originally delivered to a Hebrew or Jewish audience. It makes frequent use of Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, and it makes the case for Jesus. It is arguing for Jesus from there, from the Old Testament. Now, this heavy reliance on the Old Testament can make Hebrews a bit difficult to understand for those of us who are not steeped in the Old Testament. And, in fact, many of us aren't. So Hebrews can be a difficult book to read. That being said... It is clear enough that part of the purpose behind the letter was to encourage Jewish Christians to keep the faith. For various reasons, they were being tempted to abandon Jesus and return to Judaism. Hebrews 10.36 says this. It says, For you have need of endurance. And I say to you this morning, we probably all say it together, we have need of endurance. But it's probably not because anybody is hating you for being a Christian. It's unlikely that anybody is attacking your Christianity outright in the way that the earliest Christians were frequently attacked. Instead, it is much more likely that your faith is being challenged by a world that seems to be making Christianity less and less credible. Our identity as Christians is not so much under attack as it is the ideas of being a Christian, what it means and what we think about being a Christian. For example, COVID-19 didn't single out the church because we follow Jesus. It didn't single out the church at all. But has it made faith more difficult? Probably. 
tragic losses, prolonged seasons of suffering, and the grinding exhaustion of life over these past nine months have probably made your faith a little harder to hold. And you have need of endurance. Now, while the source of your need and my need to endure might be different today from the original recipients of Hebrews, the solution is the same. In a moment, we're going to turn to Hebrews 12, but before we do that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that when we open your word, what you've spoken to us, what you've handed down to us, we don't find a fairy tale. We find real people who have dealt with real problems in real ways. And that the Bible is honest about what life here on earth, what life under the sun is like. And uh, God, we, we think about your sacrifice. We think about communion and that we are never alone. And still it can be so hard. The race can be hard to run. I pray this morning that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to be encouraged, to endure, to fill us with your strength and joy. Uh, Lord, I pray for the very many people who are not here this morning, whether it's out of caution, it's because they're traveling, because they just need some rest. Uh, Thank you for each and every one of those people. I pray that you would meet them where they are, that you would meet their needs, that you would keep them safe, give them rest, give them comfort and joy. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the very many people who have wonderfully made it up for so many years and for the blessing it is to be gathered here together under one roof, worshiping you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So how, how can we endure? Well, first, we should know that there is strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. Perhaps you've seen this video, or at least you've heard it talked about. At a music festival in 2009 in Washington State, a man went from dancing crazily by himself on a hillside wearing no shirt, all alone, just flailing around. It was not terribly inspired dancing. He's dancing by himself, and then sure enough, one other person walks up and joins him. So now there are two crazy people dancing on a hill. Before long, a third person runs up, and you've got three crazy people dancing, making fools of themselves. And then finally, a whole crowd of people just runs in to this group. And all of a sudden, you can't see that one crazy person or those two or three crazy people flailing around. There's a group. There's a big, big group. And they're all dancing. Now, this video, this has been used to illustrate leadership. That with leadership, you have to be willing to look a little crazy. You have to be willing to stand out on your own. And in leadership, those first few followers are important. They are the people who take you from being a crazy person by yourself to a crazy person with two other people to then a leader of a group. What happens, though, is as the group grows, it becomes less risky 
to be dancing on the hill. Most of us in this room, I would bet, maybe all of us, uh, aren't going to start a dance party by ourselves. But plenty of us could be convinced to dance if we saw a group already dancing. That's the power of a crowd. Now, Hebrews 12.1 tells us that we are surrounded by a great crowd. And not just any crowd. We are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses. And for the record, I am saying crowd, not cloud. The Bible says cloud, which was just a common way to describe a very large crowd. So who are these witnesses? Well, if we had read Hebrews 11, we would know. The witnesses are people like Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Samson, and David. Hebrews 11, 33, and 34 say, They are those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. These are men and women who entrusted themselves to God's faithfulness. They entrusted themselves to God despite how things appeared. And they were commended by God as righteous according to that faith. So that's who the witnesses are. But what do the witnesses do? When we think of witnesses, we think of spectators, especially witnesses at a race. To witness something is to see it. And so you might think that this is a crowd that has gathered to witness the church run its race. They've come to enjoy the show as God works out his plans on earth. They may even watch you run your race. And that adds a little bit of pressure. You really need to perform. You don't want to fail in front of King David or trip in front of Jesus' mom. But that's not what these witnesses have gathered to do. The crowd of witnesses has not gathered to watch you or me or our church run our race. Hebrews 11.39 tells us that these witnesses were all commended for their faith. They were all commended for their faith. But what we fail to see in English is that these words, witnesses and commended, are essentially the same word. These are witnesses who were witnessed or commenders who were commended. And so the task of the witness is not to just watch us, but it's to commend to us God's faithfulness. The witnesses are witnessing to us, bearing testimony, testifying to us that God is faithful and that the life of faith, the race of faith, is worth it. There's a podcast I enjoy from NPR called How I Built This. The host interviews successful people, successful entrepreneurs, and they tell the stories of their companies. The founder of Wikipedia, the men behind Ben and Jerry's ice cream, the people behind Instagram and Dyson, all these kinds of stories. And I love listening to them because they always inspire me. Over and over and over again, you hear stories of humble beginnings, missteps, obstacles, people barely making it by. But they do. They succeed. And it makes the impossible seem possible. That is what the cloud of witnesses does. They make the impossible seem possible. They make the life of faith seem livable. They have failed, 
but have still been commended. They've sought after God imperfectly and still received a reward. So we need to know our history as Christians, and not just the history of our Bibles. We need to know what's happened before us. We need to know the cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and is growing with each passing year. Recently, one of our elders, Rick Aiton, who many of you know, shared a story over email about some of Prairie View's history. And it was related to the loan and the building. And I encourage you, for the sake of time, I can't share it all here, but I'd encourage you to seek those kinds of stories out. Rick is good for lots of those stories. The witnesses, though, around us, the people like the the man of Rick's story, they're not just witnessing us. They're not just watching the church grow. They're not just watching us live out our faith. They're witnessing to us that God is good. God is faithful, that we ought to run the race and we can. So don't go it alone. We need to surround ourselves with others if we are going to endure. Those who are present with us and those who have gone before us. And we can see that the race can be run. Enduring is worth it. Enduring, by definition, is also difficult. So it's important that we don't get in our own way. Verse 1 tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now the idea here is like a runner. We obviously don't want to hold any extra weight that might slow us down. On top of that, we don't want to get distracted away from the course in front of us. If we run off course, we might be disqualified. This is the idea suggested by sin, which clings so closely. It is sin as a distraction from our race. Sin as something that will set us off course. For the weights we can lay down are those things which are not necessarily sins. But they're not beneficial to our faith. You might be busy, which is not sinful, but it might be detrimental to your faith. You might be tired from a lack of sleep, which in and of itself is not sinful, but it could be hurting your faith. You could be frustrated with masks and social isolation. You could be thinking about politics. You could be worried about politics. None of these things are in and of themselves sinful, but they might take away our ability to live a more lively faith. The music you listen to, the entertainment you consume, the things we buy, all of these things can fall into the category of weight. These things that are not sinful, but are hurting our ability to run our races with endurance. Now, the sins that we need to lay aside are a little more straightforward. They are things like contentiousness rather than peacefulness, sexual immorality, bitterness, disobedience, and ungratefulness toward God. All of which are mentioned in the following verses of Hebrews. The problem with both weight and sin is that we like to convince ourselves that there's something else. We rationalize our weights and our sins and we make them acceptable. Don't fool yourself. We all do this. Do not fool yourself and surround yourself with people who will call you out on your nonsense. Because we all need to take stock of our lives Examining ourselves to see what ways and sins we might be carrying, what might be holding us back, what might be making it harder to endure. And we need friends, people we love and trust, who are able to see our blind spots and graciously, lovingly point them out. Basically, we need the church. 
The race is hard enough. Don't make enduring it even harder. How can we endure? We talked about being surrounded by people. We talked about laying aside weights and burdens and unnecessary things that are holding us back. But ultimately, the way we endure is fixing our eyes on the prize. My older son, Theo, he has trouble sleeping through the night. Most nights around 2 or 3 in the morning, he lets out a horrible yell, horrible yell. Uh, he yells, Daddy! Daddy! Uh, but he sounds, he sounds like there is a monster in his room going to eat him. And the reason he sounds that way is because he really feels that way. He's afraid of the dark. So in the middle of the night, I wake up to this terrifying scream. I walk into his bedroom. I crawl into his bed and... I fall asleep with him until I'm ready to wake up in a few hours. About a week ago, I was especially tired and in need of a good night's sleep. So around bedtime, I tell Theo that I'm going to buy him donuts in the morning if he doesn't yell for me. I have nothing to lose. If he failed, it'd be just like any other, any other night where I didn't get a great night of sleep and I was in his bedroom helping him. But if he succeeded, I now had a wonderful excuse to go buy myself and my family, but myself, donuts. And so the next morning, I was out buying donuts. He, he did it. It was great. And later that day, he told me about his night. He said he woke up in the middle of the night like he always does, and he was afraid. But rather than screaming my name, he quietly repeated, donuts, 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 to himself. He was so excited for donuts that he was willing to be afraid. He was willing to endure. Endurance is not a matter of never being afraid or never feeling overwhelmed. Endurance isn't a matter of having control in every situation that you find yourself. Endurance is being controlled by something bigger and more overwhelming. Theo's overwhelming love for donuts overcame his fear of the dark. And here in Hebrews, we see that the overwhelming joy that awaited Jesus overcame the humiliation, shame, persecution, and pain that he would face. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and 17, the Apostle Paul refers to his own trials and sufferings in a similar way. He says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Your outer self may really truly be wasting away but the joy before you the prize at the finish line is enough to make it all seem like a light thing jesus still carried the very real weight of the cross and the very real burden of the sins of the world but the joy put those things into perspective Jesus endured for the joy that was set before him. He endured by considering what waited for him at the finish line. Glory, power, love, and righteousness. We endure by keeping our eyes on the prize. It worked for my four-year-old. It worked for the Apostle Paul in a much greater way. And it ultimately worked for Jesus, the King of Kings. But this raises the obvious and all-important question, which is, what is the prize? What are you running for? When we look to Jesus, we don't only see the perfect example of endurance. We see the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
Jesus is the hook on which all of God's promises hang. God's promise to crush the head of the serpent, that ancient foe who lives to murder, lie, and destroy. God's promise to bless the whole world and grow a family as numerous as the stars. His promise of a righteous king who rules in peace and justice eternally. The giving of new hearts that know and love God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The promise of a broken world made whole. All of these and more were planned from the foundation of the world to be fulfilled in Christ. The joy before us is the joy we have in Christ. And it's not just because Jesus is such a great guy and he's going to give us a nice warm hug when we get to heaven. The joy we have in Christ is all that comes with him, all that he establishes, all of the good promises of God fulfilled in Christ are waiting for us at the finish line if we will endure. You cannot separate the king from the kingdom. You cannot separate Jesus from all of the benefits he provides. It is not just Jesus warm, welcoming us with a hug, although that might be great. It is Jesus and the heavenly kingdom that comes with him. The perfect peace, the eternal justice, the abundance, that is the prize at the finish line. Now Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we endure by looking to Jesus. And it, it might be better to say that we look away to Jesus. We're not just looking to Jesus, but we're looking away to him because we need to look away from the sins and the weights that would distract us. We need to fix our eyes on Christ. Not only because he has run the race before us, setting for, setting for us an example to follow, but because by running the race before us, he has secured for us the most glorious prize imaginable. Life forever with him under his perfect care in his perfect kingdom. Now think of a time when you were totally wrapped up in something. You are in the zone. Everything kind of goes dull and dim. You don't notice anything but that one thing you're giving your attention to. Uh, Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's a game or a show or a movie. Maybe it's a book or an idea. Whatever it is, I know you've been there. That, that, That moment of focus. You're indistractable. That ought to be the level of attention we give to Christ to endure. That ought to be our goal with how we are focusing on him. But let's be honest. We don't always keep our eyes on the prize. I'm a professional Christian. It is my job to be a Christian and to be a pastor. And I don't always keep my eyes on the prize. It can be difficult. It can feel so far away. And we can't actually see it. We, we can hardly begin to wrap our minds around eternity with him. And so we get distracted by the things here. The things that we can feel and can see. Things that we can't ignore no matter how hard we might try. How can we endure then? If you find that you are distracted and you can't seem to fix your eyes on Jesus, maybe you need to turn up the volume. Maybe you need to drown out all of the other sounds that are vying for your attention. Maybe you need to give yourself more to prayer, more to scripture, more to Christian fellowship, more to Christ. Not because it's easy or comfortable or even particularly enjoyable in that moment, but because it's for your good. 
and you need to endure. But maybe you're wondering this morning, why do I need to endure at all? Why does anybody need to endure? Why couldn't God just give us simple lives? It's not even that nothing bad would ever happen. It's just nothing too serious. We'd all be happy to endure a little, but God sure gives out a lot. Well, I want you to know what Hebrews 12, 7 says. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Now, how is that supposed to make you feel better? It's because discipline implies fatherly love. Once again, this is something that we lose reading in English. But our word discipline clearly comes from disciple. And discipline can sound a bit condescending. Discipline is what happens when you get into trouble. But the original word comes from the word child. The word child and the word we're reading as discipline are related. Discipline here is the attention and instruction that a father gives to his child for their good. Why? What's in order to shape us and fit us for life? You discipline your children to prepare them for life. You are not being punished. We are not being punished by trials. Rather, we are being trained and fitted for citizenship in heaven. Your race is not random. It is for your good. Your endurance is training you in holiness and righteousness. The endurance required for the race set before you is making you the son or daughter that God desires. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I made a point to say that 2021 could very well pick up right where 2020 left off. That there's no reset button as much as we might like. There's no one to call and say, hey, did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in? The calendars might change and be nice and clean, but a new year doesn't actually bring a fresh start. Now, this was proved to be eerily true late in the process of writing my sermon. I'd already written the introduction and written more besides that, but I was told by Joshua that Ben preached a very similar sermon one year ago. December 29th, 2019, the last Sunday of the year following Christmas, Ben preached a sermon from Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 entitled, get this, You Have Need of Endurance. I had obviously forgotten. And really, who could blame me? There's been a lot that's happened since the end of 2019. I imagine, though, that Ben had not forgotten. But when I told him that I intended to preach from Hebrews 12, he graciously allowed me to press on. He didn't say anything about it. His sermon was timely then. We were in a season of trials and hardships. But none of us could have had any idea what would be in store for us in the coming weeks and months. We needed endurance at the end of 2019. And we need it now. Still at the end of 2020. But the message then is the message now. It's the same message that was given to the original recipients of Hebrews. And if we somehow find ourselves at the end of 2021 still in need of endurance, hearing from Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, it will be the same message then. We look to one another for help, for comfort, for strength. 
We set aside sins and distractions that hold us back. We look to Jesus, the example and the prize. And we know that endurance is part of our becoming what God desires. You and I, we all have need of endurance. In the words of Philippians 4.19, My God, our God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to endure. This year has been generally difficult on most everybody for plenty of obvious reasons. But it's also been uniquely difficult for many of us for maybe less obvious reasons. And we come here this last Sunday of the year looking, hopefully, optimistically, maybe anxiously toward a new year and what it might bring. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's we don't know anything. And yet, God, we know what's waiting for us at the end of our race. And so whatever obstacles come in front of us, whatever trials we have to endure, we can set our hope on the joy. We can set our eyes on the joy before us, which is life with your son. And run the race, knowing that these light momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that is waiting for us. Help us to gain perspective, God. Help us to encourage one another to not take things lightly or trivially, that we suffer, that we weep with those who weep, we mourn, and we, we feel the pain of others. But help us to always lift our eyes, even in the midst of pain, and endure, looking to the finish line, pushing on, seeing the others who have gone before us, and the many who are going alongside of us right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.